Thank you so much for tuning into the ADR podcast. My name is Brian Hamilton, and I am back with a slightly new format for this show. Uh, I'm in London for the next month doing a uh, study abroad program with Northeastern, and I thought that the show should continue in some way, but I knew I wouldn't be able to do daily episodes just because there's so much going on here in London for my classes. So I thought, why not... At the end of the week, or on every Tuesday, release a compilation of episodes in a way that, you know, there's maybe a half hour's worth of audio uh, every week, just so I can uh, put something back online for you guys. I'm going to be talking a lot about movies I've seen, uh, you know, updates on the film I'm making here in London, which is going to be a lot of fun. I'll talk to you guys about that later, but uh, I'm going to try to have it... uh, done in a way such that there's a uh, overarching theme, almost like This American Life, uh, between each of the segments I do every week. So for this first weekly edition of ADR, I'm going to compile three different episodes on Star Wars. I recorded these about two weeks ago, never got around to editing or uploading them, so uh, for the first ADR weekly episode, here is uh, an analysis of Star Wars Episode Four. A long time ago in a podcast far, far away. It was a time of unrest in the podcasting community. Brian woke up on May the 4th, 2014, Star Wars Day, and decided to purchase the original three movies on Blu-ray. He had owned the original VHSs for a long time and put them through their paces. But to show his mom and brother the original Star Wars movie for the first time, he had to go out and buy the Blu-ray so that they can watch it on the nice big TV in the den, and not the crappy little CRT in my room. This would be a lot more dramatic with the actual Star Wars music, wouldn't it? I can't actually do that because of copyright, but I can pretend to do the original opening crawl of uh, Star Wars while doing this podcast. Uh, (laughs) So... I showed uh, episode four, A New Hope, to my mom for the first time. My brother swears he's seen it. Uh, My 15-year-old brother swears he's seen it at some point in his life, but I don't think so. Um, So last night, um, May the 4th, we all watched the uh, episode four of Star Wars, and that was fantastic. This is a movie that never, ever ever gets old. I mean, this is a movie that someone when they're seven can watch just as they're getting into movies, and then this is something that someone in their 40s can watch, you know, either reminiscing about their childhood while they played with plastic lightsabers, or, you know, discover it for the first time and see what all the hype has been been about, and uh, really get lost in this wonderful, wacky world that George Lucas created. And that's my favorite thing about this movie. I think, uh, this is going to be controversial, but I think that Star Wars Episode Four is my favorite of uh, any of the Star Wars movies, just because it does such a great job of letting you into this weird world right in the middle of it. Well, technically right in the middle of it because it's episode four of six, but back in the 70s, there was no other Star Wars movies. No one knew who R2-D2 or Yoda were back when this came out. This is a movie that let you in perfectly. You know, the first thing you see is, uh, you know, they've got this opening crawl explaining to you with text what's going on, and you're introduced to Darth Vader, Leia, uh, R2-D2, and C-3PO within like 10 minutes, and that's all you need to know. You don't know anything else about, you know, the crazy Star Wars universe that exists now. You don't know anything else about Luke Skywalker or the Force or anything. All you know is that there are these plans, they need to get them safe, Darth Vader wants them, Leia's hiding them. That's all you need to know, and the rest of the movie and the rest of the heroes are unfolded just 
perfectly. You know, Star Wars, Star Wars, Luke Skywalker uh, doesn't come into the movie until, you know, 20 minutes in. Han Solo doesn't even come into the movie until 40 minutes in. And then the movie's two hours long. You only get to hang out with Han Solo for an hour. And, you know, he's the best character in the movie. So they pace the movie perfectly just because, you know, that's what you need at the point that they show it. They could have started off with Luke Skywalker and then cut back to uh, the scene on the ship between Leia and Darth Vader and hinted that, you know, something big was going to happen with uh, Luke. But, you know, they didn't need to. All they had was, uh, you know, they introduced him perfectly when, you know, he buys R2-D2 and C-3PO from the Jawas. And you know, that's his introduction. It's perfect. And the other perfect moment that introduces Luke is, you know, the scene with the two sons. He goes out, John Williams' beautiful, amazing score swells, and you're like, wow, he's going to be a huge, huge impact on this world. And he is, as we all know now at this point. Um, This is a movie I didn't think I needed to give the, you know, normal ADR treatment to, you know, summarize and give my thoughts, but I just realized I'm actually summarizing it, you know, everyone knows this movie, everyone knows and loves this movie, so I didn't think that I had to, but here I am actually doing it, so I might as well continue. He meets uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi, and they hang out and try to plan their trip to Alderaan, and, uh... That's how they have to get the plans over to Leia's father, which, okay, I'm not going to talk about that now, the whole father family thing, but, you know, they introduce uh, Obi-Wan again at the perfect point. He had the perfect amount of buildup for this uh, big reveal with the Sand People. You know, they're like, ooh, I wonder if Ben Kenobi knows this guy. I wonder who he is. I wonder why we need to talk to him. And then he shows up and you say, oh, oh, that is you. Okay, and again, another perfectly paced moment where you're introduced to the right person at exactly the right time. And I feel like this is a movie that is lots of lots of plot. There's not a lot of, you know, little detours. Every single scene serves a purpose. And lots of movies now try to do that and fail, and it feels like they're just, you know, putting the movie through the paces and, you know, hitting this point, hitting this point, hitting this point. This movie, Star Wars Episode 4, feels a lot more organic and real just because of that. You know, they hit all the plot points, you know everything you need to know, but it's not forced. It's not, you know, trying to get to the point too quick. And, you know, in a movie like this, who knows what the point is? It's an adventure. You know, that's what this movie is. It's George Lucas, and I forget if Steven Spielberg is involved with this as well, but they were friends. Steven Spielberg and George Lucas, they made movies that were, you know, just adventures, fun. You know, not too much of a big point, not too much of a message, just great characters doing awesome things, hanging out and going on adventures. And that's exactly what this movie is. You know, you don't know where the movie's going to go. You don't really know what the point of the movie is because it changes so often. You know, they need a ship to get to Alderaan. Now Alderaan's blown up. What do they do? Well, they are now in the Death Star. Okay, what do they need to do now that they're in the Death Star? Get out. Okay, now that they've gotten out, what do they need to do? Destroy the Death Star. You don't know at the very beginning that they're going to destroy the Death Star. It's paced perfectly just so that you know what's going to happen later because, you know, the focus changes enough that you're interested, but not so much that it's just, wait, what's going on now? I'm confused. I don't know what's going on. And the reason you do know what's going on is because it's paced 
perfectly. I'm so happy that this movie is what it is until George Lucas went back and tampered with it. I mean, I, I love the man for creating this wonderful world, but I don't love him at all for what the movie became and the, what the series became. It just pisses me off that he went back and changed everything. Watching this in beautiful HD on this Blu-ray, I mean, I was able to point out immediately when the 90s edits and, you know, CGI came in. It was like, oh, yeah, look at that. That's that's crap. And then you see the beautiful, you know, original art and the original costumes, all the great in-camera stuff they did that works so well back then and still works today. So the ending comes and they have to go blow up the Death Star. All of the rebel ships swarm and they have to destroy the TIE fighters and then ride down that ridge to shoot the little hole and blow up the entire Death Star. I love that every single action set piece in Star Wars doesn't overstay its welcome. You know, I don't know if this is a bad habit of, uh, you know, millennials watching movies and always having distractions, but I always check my watch during movies, and I always want to have, like, a little timer to see how far into the movie I am, and every time I look and watch something at Star Wars, nothing ever lasts more than 20 minutes at a time, you know? The movie opens up with a great, you know, sequence on the ship, and then you have all the cool stuff with the Falcon as it flies toward Alderaan, and then you have, you know, this ending. Nothing is more than 20 minutes long. There's so many movies now that think length and gratuity is what makes uh, a scene exciting or new or interesting, and that's not true at all. This movie is very tight. It's very, uh, you know, like I've been saying, well-paced. Everything is perfectly, like, chunked out so that you can watch a 20-minute sequence of them blowing up the Death Star and not feel overwhelmed and not feel bored by all the ships going. It moves at the perfect you know, rate. It's wonderful. That's why I think this movie holds up so well. You know, I'm checking my watch the whole time and I notice, wow, two hours just went by. I really didn't feel it at all. And then there's movies where I'm like, oh god, I'm 45 minutes in, kill me now. You know, Star Wars is not one of those movies. It's made so well. And as much as I want to punch George Lucas in the face for what the uh, series became, I'm really glad that he was able to create this and set the ball rolling. I'm going to talk a lot more about George Lucas and how I feel about the rest of the series tomorrow when I talk about Empire Strikes Back, but I'm going to uh, sign off for now. May the 4th be with you. Up next is episode 5, which I recorded the next day. So I'm not going to do the whole crawl thing like I did yesterday, but I am going to do Star Wars Episode 5 at The Empire Strikes Back today. Uh, I watched it last night with my family. We're doing one movie a night. I'm considering doing Machete Order from here, but I don't think I'm going to do that just because I don't own the prequels uh, for good reason. But what I'm going to talk about today is why I think uh, The Empire Strikes Back is a very different direction for the series, but it's not my favorite. Lots of people think that um, Empire's the best. And while I think it's like the most well-made movie, um, there's some really great shots. And this is the one where uh, George Lucas decided to give the directorial duties to his friend. His name was uh, Irvin Kirshner, and uh, he brought something a lot more substantial and artistic to uh, the Star Wars series, because I think the first one's a lot campier. There's a lot more silly sci-fi stuff to it, but in this one, there's a lot more character development. There's a lot more uh, artistic vision brought to it just because of uh, how, I don't know, how Irvin directed it. And I think it's really great to see uh, the series take a totally different direction, especially now with a huge emphasis on, uh, you know, father, son, destiny. You know, Yoda really uh, brings something interesting to the table because he uh 
teaches Luke all of this great stuff, not only about the Force, but about himself. You know, do or do not. There is no try. That's you know so applicable to anyone, not just a Jedi Master. And uh, I think it's really great to have the big reveal at the end that Darth Vader's Luke's father. Spoiler alert that you already heard a trillion times, but uh, you know, Darth Vader's Luke's father. And I think that they. Uh, put that in a perfect position in the series just because of all the emphasis they put on, you know, legacy and family and, you know, seeing yourself in your enemies. They really put the emphasis on that in uh, Empire Strikes Back, and I think it worked really, really well. Like I was saying yesterday, you know, this series and this movie is paced perfectly, so I feel like, you know, they rolled out all of the stuff about legacy and paternity at a perfect point because there's that big reveal that Darth Vader's Luke's father. And even then with this movie, they still have everything perfect, you know. Uh, it wastes no time in bringing you straight to Hoth to have all that great uh, stuff on that planet while uh, the rebels are trying to get away from the Empire when they finally discovered them after that whole uh, you know, scanning droid or whatever gets on the planet. And I think it's great that, you know, the opening crawl this time isn't uh, like, hey kids, remember that Star Wars movie you watched a few years ago? This picks up right where they left off. No, there's no scene in the movie where they decide to go to Hoth. They put that in the crawl. They knew exactly what to show and what not to show, how to get them all up to speed. And I think it's great. You know, they didn't waste any time just getting over to Hoth and showing all those really great scenes with the uh, with all the stuff that happens on Hoth and the crazy Imperial walkers that still give me chills every time I watch it. This is another uh, you know, instance of this movie's parsed out in perfect 20-30 minute chunks so that you don't get bored, things are constantly changing, and by the end, you feel like you've watched a cohesive whole, and it works really, really well. This movie suffers just because it's the second in the series, and, you know, the second movie in the trilogy always has these kinds of problems. There's no real beginning or end, because it has to pick up where the first one left off, but then it still has to set the stage for the third one, and I feel like this movie does a much, much better job of that because I guess when George Lucas made the first one he didn't know if there would be sequels but in this case there had to have been a sequel so they set up a cliffhanger you know they wrapped up everything they could but there's still the question of what the heck is going to happen with Darth Vader and Luke you know that's a really really great well not cliffhanger because it's all resolved but you want to know where it goes again I showed this to my uh, mom and brother for the first time and I asked so uh, where do you think the series is going to go after episode four and they said I don't know I thought that was a good cohesive whole movie. And I asked them, uh, where do you think it's going to go after episode five? And they say, oh, you know, I hope he goes and faces Darth Vader and I hope blah, 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 all that stuff happens. And this sets things up for much more. And I think it's awesome. Then there's the final lightsaber battle in the freezing chamber, and I think it's the creepiest, most beautiful, most uh, unnerving, most important stuff that the entire series has in any of the movies. You know, this is the climactic battle between Darth Vader and Luke. Even though, you know, episode six has a lot more of that. You know, this one, it's shot so perfectly. You know, uh, the lightsabers are red and blue in all the lighting and the creepy smoke is red and blue in the uh, freezing chamber. You know, there's no score at all, even though, uh, you know, this is one of the most important things. It's all just the hum of the lightsabers and the whoosh of the uh, lightsabers, I guess, moving around and... Darth Vader being creepy and talking to Luke, and I think it's amazing. This is one of my favorite things ever put on film, ever, and, uh, you know, every time I watch it, I get chills. You know, uh, Obi-Wan said that 
if Luke went to face Darth Vader, he couldn't interfere. It had to be between them, and it really was just between them. There's nobody else there. There isn't even a score, and all of the stuff that happens between them is just between them, and it works so well, especially um, after all the stuff that Yoda and Luke and Obi-Wan set up earlier, talking about legacy and uh, all of that crazy stuff between them, and then the reveal. And when Luke loses his hand, that moment, I just can't believe they had to throw that in there you know it was awesome that was a fantastic little touch like oh okay uh, i wonder what's gonna happen you know there's the main character and the evil main villain uh what's gonna happen you know neither of them can die because there's gonna be presumably another movie but you know what's gonna happen and then boom he loses his hand it's this incredible moment where you think oh Anything can happen. Uh, this is a pretty big consequence. He has to fight with lightsabers with that hand. And then, of course, the very end, he patches up his hand with a uh, little bionic hand, and it looks just like his other real hand. A little bit of a cop-out, but it's cool because you see inside his hand and the gears, whatever. But that final climactic lightsaber battle is the best in the entire series, especially because the first one in uh, A New Hope is so lame. You know, it's just... Uh, Obi-Wan and Darth Vader kind of, and uh, should I do the, I'll do that, and it's kind of boring, but it's, you know, I feel like the fans really latched onto the lightsaber battles and how cool they were, so they were like, okay, we need to get an actual trainer, we need to get an actual, uh, you know, choreographer and actual stuff set up for this next one, because it has to be big, it's going to be between Luke and Vader, it's going to be awesome, and we're going to creep people out with it. Uh, I don't know, what else, there's Lando Calrissian, who, you know, he's really interesting because he sells them out, but then he saves them in the end. You know, you have no idea what's going on with him. And I think it's uh, that's a cool little dynamic because we always knew uh, Han Solo was a smuggler and dealt with really, really shady people. But then here he is actually, uh, you know, dealing with one of them and facing the consequences for trusting someone who's as slimy and as, uh, you know, untrustworthy. That's not a word, but who isn't as trustworthy as anyone else. And uh, having him deal with that and having him sell them out to the Empire was an awesome move. Well, not awesome move, but it was a really cool little plot point that changed everything. Um, so there's that. You know, the movie ends with uh, Luke, Leia, 3PO, and R2-D2 together on the rebel ship, and then you have uh, Calrissian and Chewbacca off to do something else and find Jabba. And then, of course, you know, Han Solo, he's frozen in carbonite and it's uh that was an awesome moment too that he wasn't able to uh be in like the last half of the movie just because he's frozen so this movie does a much better job of setting stuff up for the next one even if you know today lots of movies are planned you know four or five movies in advance so they uh they have to plan that stuff out really really early but it feels like such a cop-out because they know there's going to be uh, a lot more movies to play around with this one i feel like they did it perfectly they had everything placed at the perfect points where they were able to establish that and then have another movie in another few years to uh, resolve all of that. And now wrapping up the original Star Wars trilogy is Return of the Jedi. Return of the Jedi closes out the original Star Wars trilogy, or should I say the real Star Wars trilogy, and it does so in a way that's, you know, it's okay, it's definitely not my favorite of the three, but still very, 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 very good. Um, it's another installment of, oh, the, uh, the Empire is back, and now we have to destroy the Death Star again. 
And, you know, it's a bit of a rehash of the first one. I think it's really cool that they brought the Death Star back, and I really like those scenes where it shows, like, the incomplete Death Star. It looks really, really cool, but the fact that they just brought back the Death Star is just a little, eh. Especially considering that, you know, it's the same kind of thing. Get here, destroy the shield, and then destroy the Death Star. The thing that really separates this movie from the others is, A, uh, the beginning with uh, Jabba the Hutt, and B, the, like, ultimate showdown between Luke and Darth Vader at the very end, and it's awesome. I mean, that moment, I think the bit uh, at the end of Empire Strikes Back is the best thing the series has done as a whole, but this is definitely the most important just because you have the Emperor there. You have Darth Vader finally turning in that one final moment to uh, kill the Emperor and uh, side with Luke for the last, you know, five minutes of his life. And then uh, my favorite bit of this movie, you see Darth Vader without his mask. And it's really, really awesome to see, like, oh, here's this really creepy guy that we've come to know these past three movies. And then you say, oh, wait, no, he we're seeing him without his mask? And it's such a huge moment, A, because, you know, Darth Vader is so creepy with his mask, and it's a it's a testament to the actors playing Darth Vader that uh, they're able to act so well without any sort of facial expression and the fact that they're able to have James Earl Jones dubbed in later to make that performance work. And B, because, you know, once you go back to watch the other movies, you can, you know, picture Darth Vader like that. And it's like, ugh, wow. You know, this really great, powerful force <laughs> force is actually a really dilapidated old man. And it's really awesome to, you know, have that image in your head when you watch the other movies. The other thing that really sets this movie apart is the opening with Jabba the Hutt, and I love all the practical effects and all of the puppets and costumes they came up with in the original movies, but in the 90s, you know, thing where they throw in all the extra effects, it just doesn't work. It looks so bad, and you can tell it's extremely fake as opposed to the uh, really wonderful, cool... Uh, creative props and uh, puppets and sets and costumes they came up with for this sequence. And it just pisses me off every time I watch it that there's no, you know, original version of these movies available commercially. I actually went to the uh, local record shop and they sell DVDs as well. I found a box set of the original three movies uncut for $85 used. I guess that's how rare it is, but I can't believe that, you know... It's $85. It's that rare. I'm sure if I really wanted to, I could find it online somewhere. But honestly, you know, it's too much work, and I already have these wonderful Blu-rays. Anyway, um, so Luke comes up and uh, tries to save Han from Jabba the Hutt. And there's this really crazy scheme that he hatched up with uh, Lando and Leia and the droids. And I think it's awesome that it actually, you know, unfolds in a way that you don't really know what's going on for a while. Like, you can see they're all there. You can see they all conspired together to... Uh, free Han from the clutches of Jabba the Hutt. But when Leia shows up after, you know, making that phony deal for Chewbacca and uh, trying to free Han Solo, I think it's awesome that Luke shows up after and you're wondering what's going on there. And you see that he's a Jedi now. You know, he... I've always been confused about what it means to actually be a Jedi. I know that in the Old Republic, the Jedi Knights were the ones that were... Uh, that were, you know, enforcing the peace and maintaining order in the galaxy. But in this new world, when the only Jedi that are left, or I guess you know, Obi-Wan's gone, but all that's left is Yoda and then Luke. 
who is, you know, still technically in training or whatever, they are very vague about what it actually means to be a Jedi. I'm sure back in the Old Republic they had an actual, you know, tribunal of people saying, okay, you're a Jedi, you're a Jedi, you need another few months of training, and you're a Jedi. You know, like, when Luke comes in and says, I'm a Jedi Knight, and Han says, he's a Jedi? <laughs> yeah, right. Who's there to actually validate that? And what does that one jump from apprentice to Jedi actually mean? Especially when Yoda died. There's that moment where he says, oh, I don't, like, I still have training left to do. And uh, the ultimate way of, you know, completing the training is to face Darth Vader. I don't really understand why they made that kind of distinction or why they rather didn't make that kind of distinction between what does it mean to be a Jedi. Luke's uh, force powers are much, much stronger in this movie than the others. Like he's able to levitate C-3PO across the Ewoks, which I'll get to in a moment, the Ewoks. But, you know, he's a much stronger character in terms of the force in this movie. And I think that may be enough to consider him a Jedi. But in terms of, you know, what it actually means to have that kind of ranking as a Jedi, especially because he's the only one left you know he's like tigger he's the only one that was a horrible pun i'll try to edit that out but what they do is they have him be a jedi and then he's incredibly strong and he has these kind of uh, mind powers and he shows so sure of himself about the force especially later when he confronts uh, darth vader and the emperor but i don't really understand why you know they didn't make that distinction i really want to go back maybe not to the prequels but maybe to some of the extended universe stuff and see what the old order Jedi were like. Uh, That's probably the nerdiest thing I've ever said on this podcast. Please do not judge me for that. But uh, then we move on to Endor and uh, all of the cute little teddy bears. I showed this to my mom again for the first time, and uh, she called them teddy bears. I was like, oh, that's nice, but they're Ewoks. And then I remember they don't actually say that they're Ewoks in the movie, which I think is awesome. You know, they never actually told you these are called Ewoks. They just sold a metric crap ton of them and... uh, called them Ewoks, I guess, on the packaging and all the uh, extended universe and marketing things for the movie. I think it's, you know, that's really cool that they were able to pull that off, that everyone knows they're called Ewoks, even though they're not, you know, explicitly called that in the movie, which is interesting. But uh, their reveal is kind of cool. You know, Leia is their friend for a little bit. You know, she finds this cute little adorable thing, and then the rest of the gang's ambushed by them. And then C-3PO is, like, their deity, and uh, they realize, oh, you know, we can worship this guy and he's kind of our thing but they try to take advantage of it and uh, have them help them out in their battle against the empire which i think is really really cool the sequences later with uh, the ewoks fighting the stormtroopers and uh, aiding the rebels in their fight against the empire is so cool especially because you know they have all of this wonderful practical effects i think they actually got little people to uh, play the ewoks in the movie and they had them in these little uh, costumes and it was all really cute and adorable but apparently they were treated really badly on set or something i don't exactly know but i really like the scenes where they all fight together and they did some really cool stuff there especially with uh, you know green screen for the i don't know speeders cruisers floating bikes whatever but uh, when they incorporated those the stormtroopers um the really cool little booby traps that the ewoks set up for the rebel uh, or to aid the rebels, rather, I think they really outdone themselves in terms of the production design for Star Wars. Even though the story gets a little bit weaker as each movie goes on, in my opinion, they really up the production design and they really up the, I guess, the budget because they're so damn successful. But they were able to have more money to do all these really cool things. The first moment uh, during this marathon I did this week, um, the first moment I saw the Dagobah system where Yoda is, I was like, wow. 
wait, coming from episode four, where they had, you know, just a few sets and they, you know, had these big deserts they could use, but beyond that, it wasn't really much special, to the Dagobah system where they had this wonderful, wonderful, wonderful uh, set design and production design, production value. It looked amazing. And I'm amazed that they were able to pull it off like that. But, you know, they were able to because they had more money. They were so successful with the first one. They were able to up it for the second one. And this third one here where they have all this really cool stuff between uh, the Rebels, the Ewoks, and the Empire that looked even cooler, in my opinion, where they had the really cool stuff that they uh, threw in there. I'm really glad that they were able to up that for this. But I've got to talk about that stupid ending they re-edited into this Blu-ray remastering of the Star Wars original trilogy. They had giant CGI sweeping shots of locations from the prequels celebrating the fall of the empire and it just pissed me off that they had to throw that in because you know my family said oh wait where was that where we didn't see those in the these movies what what is that wait what the heck is that over there wait that's a new location i've never seen that before and the worst the worst offense for this was when hayden christensen was photoshopped into the very end when uh Obi-Wan, Yoda, and Luke all share their like little force moment together. And then Hayden Christensen comes in as young Anakin, and it's the worst bit ever. And my entire family said, who the heck is that? And I had to explain to them. I did my best to avoid any talk about the prequels, but you know, I had to explain to them that there was this other set of movies set before these other movies where nothing actually happens and they don't actually exist, and we're all just going to live our lives pretending that there's only three Star Wars movies until next year. I'll end the episode every week with a brief update on how the film I'm making here in London is going. Uh, me and seven other people are creating a documentary about the London music scene, and what I'm really excited to do is, you know, we're living right in Camden Town, so we can grab our camera, go out, film whatever it is we need, and then, you know, come back and put it together into something that we're really proud of, something that we feel represents how we see the uh, Camden music scene, which I'm really excited to do just because, uh, you know, this is something very very foreign to us. We're in a new country for the first time, or some of us for the first time, but we're in this new country, this whole new culture that we don't really know too much about, and we get to, you know, in the next month, make a documentary about it, which I think is going to be really exciting. As of right now, we have a few interviews lined up for the rest of the week. On Friday night, we interviewed two promoters from a venue called the Dublin Castle. That went surprisingly well, which was a uh, you know, huge, huge boost of confidence for us so that we uh, know we can carry on with this project. You know, We had no idea how this would go, but now, uh, now we've got something to go on, something to uh, start us in the right direction, which I'm really excited to uh, see where all that goes. Thanks so much for tuning back in. Uh, and I'll see you next week.